I'm recording this uh, sermon for you this morning, actually, from our youth camp. And uh, the kids have just uh, gone off to bed. You might still hear some voices in the background. That's them still quieting down. And um, we basically came back from vacation and at a, about 11.30 at night. And the next morning, we left for youth retreat. So um, this, didn't have time to get this recorded before we left town. So I kind of thought I'd give you the genuine experience of uh, what it what it looks like when we're at camp. So I'm in my ball cap and uh, t-shirt and shorts, and uh, we just finished today here Saturday. Had two great messages, and then um, I'm recording this on Saturday night right at bedtime. And uh, you know tomorrow we'll have some time in the water. And so um, I'm just delighted that we have this modern technology can still preach to you. Uh, I'm looking forward to sharing what uh, this message here today. <clears throat> this is one that uh, will be a little bit different in that we're going to be discussing something that maybe many of you have heard of and maybe some of you haven't heard of, right? This may be completely new information. Uh, now, if everything has gone right, you might have a sheet of paper in your seat uh, that's two-sided. One side has a couple of pictures, and that'll kind of help you as we go through the history of what we're going to talk about today called the Enneagram. Um, and then uh, you'll see the second page of that handout that that, that hopefully is in your seat uh, that's kind of a uh, Bible-based um, character, character, image of Christ kind of test. So what we're going to talk about uh, today is something of a, it's a personality uh, type, uh, profile. It's something that is being used a lot in our evangelical world, um, and it's called the Enneagram. Now, I, many of you have, may have no idea what I'm even talking about when I say that, and some of you may, may actually have a lot of understanding um, when we talk about this. Uh, so, um, like, we'll 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 go off. We'll kind of chart a course here. You'll just hang with me. I'll try to help get you acclimated. Um, but let me just take a hypothetical. So, you know, just got back from vacation and a lot of times for people, vacation is a time for reflection. And what if I just hypothetically walk with me? What if I told you uh, on my time on, away uh, on vacation that I, what if I told you I had a time to kind of reflect on some things? And what if I were to tell you that I no longer believe God is holy or separate from us in his holy nature um, what if I were to tell you that basically uh, God is in everything? He's He's not divinely separate and holy other. What if I were to tell you that God is basically in everything? He's in us intrinsically, that we are divine ourselves, that we really don't have a sinful nature. What if I came back and told you that kind of thing? Would you trust what I have to say to you as a pastor? What if... Let me give you another what if. What if I kind of took some reflection while I was away on vacation? And what if I told you that I no longer believe that we must repent of our sins and trust Christ, but since but that I believe now that all of us are intrinsically good because Christ is in us. Um, part of God's incarnation is that he incarnated into us, not um, not as a result of having the Holy Spirit, but just because we are created and that God is in everything. Uh, what if I were to tell you that I believe that now? Now, that would be a belief called panentheism. There's a belief called pantheism, which means God is everything, pantheism. There's a belief called panentheism, means that God is in everything. Thus, everything is divine, right? What if I told you I believe that now, that I am intrinsically divine? Um, what if I were to tell you that the worst thing about original sin, the sin in the garden, is not the actual sin, but the fact that anybody would believe such a thing, that that's the real problem of life. What if I were to tell you that? Would you still trust me as your pastor? Would you trust the counsel I would give you? What if I were to tell you that I no longer believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? What if I were to tell you that I now think that there are many ways to heaven and Jesus is just one of those many ways. Would you trust me as your pastor? What if I told you that Jesus' incarnation was actually not the first incarnation, that 
God's first incarnation was at creation where God put himself into every substance on earth and put himself into Adam and Eve in such a way that they already were divine and really have no sinful nature at the fall and that the fall is really just man's creation to bring a false guilt on himself. What if I were to tell you I believe that? What if I were to tell you that I took this reflection in my time of vacation and came back with these ideas? Would you still trust me as your pastor? Would you follow the counsel and direction that I would give you in the future? Would you trust those that I discipled? What if I were to tell you that that in my time of reflection uh, on vacation, I didn't believe that the scriptures were sufficient anymore, but that I now believed that I could find the face of God through a nine-point diagram. Would you still trust me as your pastor? Would you still trust those that I discipled? What if I told you I no longer believed that there are two types of people that the Bible ultimately describes, saved and unsaved, or two types of people, regenerated and unregenerated? What if I tell you that there's really no such thing as saved and unsaved, but uh, what if I were to tell you that there's really no such thing as right or wrong? What if I were to tell you that there's really no, no difference in that kind of thing? Would you trust the things that I would say, and would you trust the disciples that I would disciple? What if I were to told you that I no longer believe that I should obey the Holy Spirit through the word, that I now believe that there are multiple spirits that can help me discern who I am. Would you trust me? What if I were to tell you that I now believe the sword of the spirit is not the word of God, but I it is a man-made drawing that has been attached with personality theory? What if I told you that the spirit of truth is a nine-point drawing, and that is how you will truly be set free? What if I would have told you that the only way to understand yourself is to look deep within yourself and through a, a man-made diagram, you can discover the true self that you are. You can discover the true divine nature that you already have. What if I were to tell you all those things, which are clear errors in the scriptures, what if I were to tell you those things, would you trust me as your pastor? Would you follow my counsel for the future? And would you follow those that I have discipled? Well, I think your answer would probably be no. Well, let me help you. What if I had all those beliefs, but I still attach the word Christian to it? So what if I were to say, well, I don't believe the sword of the spirit is the word of God, but I do believe it's a man-made drawing. And but But listen, this is a Christian drawing. If, what if I slap the word Christian on it or slap the word gospel on it? Wouldn't that be okay? Now, all these things aren't true. I don't believe all those false heretical errors I just told you. Um, but if I did believe those things, you probably wouldn't trust me. You wouldn't trust the things that I say. You wouldn't trust the future council. Uh, our church body is, is more um, orthodox than that. And you more than likely wouldn't trust those that I had discipled or taught. Now, the interesting thing is all those things I just told you, all those false doctrines that I just told you, those are the core beliefs of a guy named Richard Rohr. Now, Richard Rohr is a, is a Catholic, uh, mystical um, Catholic priest who for years— has been the main proponent and main discipler of the downstream of those that are, have been writing about something called the Enneagram. It's a movement that this guy by the name of Richard Rohr, he's called Father Richard Rohr. Um, if you look over there, you can see a picture of him on that page. Uh, I believe it's at the bottom, I believe it's at the bottom left of that front page. You can see Richard Rohr. This man, Richard Rohr, has all those beliefs, and this man, Richard Rohr, has been training he, uh, evangelicals over the last several years, and all his downstream of disciples have been bringing the idea of this personality type profile, this idea of how to find the true you. He's been promoting this idea of using something called the Enneagram, and it comes from this guy, Father Richard Rohr, 
who holds these heretical views and has disciples in his downstream that hold these heretical views. And this at this current juncture is a big movement maker and influence in our evangelical culture. And how do I know this? Um, well, first I would say this. Um, in 2016, we were on our mission. We were on our mission trip to Reynosa, Mexico, and we were at the Blue School. And I remember getting a call on my telephone, and it was someone that was offering an Enneagram training. I never heard that word in 2016, but they were offering an Enneagram, Enneagram training um, coming through Memphis. Of course, I wasn't going to make it. We were at the Blue School, um, but I remember hearing that and. It sounded like such a weird word, and I just kind of dismissed it immediately and just thought, well, let's let's just move on with life. <clears throat> but behind the scenes in the evangelical world, that was a tip-off that something was going on, and uh, it has continued to go on. Recently, one of the students um, in one of my classes actually took a picture of Barnes & Noble and, and showed me that the largest section in the Christian section of Barnes & Noble, which I understand is not a, a Christian bookstore, is actually books on the Enneagram, on Christian versions of the Enneagram. So should we be concerned about this? What is this? Now, some of you in the congregation probably have never heard this word right now. You might be Googling what the Enneagram is, and you're getting a weird picture. Um, if you look on the front page of that uh, sheet, um, you'll see at the top, uh, two different, actually you'll see three Enneagram pictures. We'll discuss those here in a little bit. Um, so you might be, you might have never heard of this, or maybe you have heard of this. Maybe you've actually been using this as a way to evaluate yourself. Maybe you found a lot of hope and joy in this. And and what I want to do is this. I want to talk about the Enneagram. I want to look at the history of it. I want you to be fully informed of what it is. Um and I've been talking to um, our people in the church uh, about this subject for quite a bit. I've had really great conversations with uh, many different people. And uh, I've just been looking to kind of share some of the things uh, that I've researched about it. And hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. Hopefully it um, is edifying. It's helpful. And it reconfirms our love for the Word of God and for trust and what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. First, Let's just look at what is the Enneagram. What is the Enneagram? And on that paper um, that hopefully is in your seat, you're going to see that uh, the word Enneagram basically means nine. Enya means nine in Greek. Gramma means drawing or writing. And so basically it's a, it's a nine-point drawing or writing. That's an Enneagram. That's what it actually literally means. Uh, if you look at these two pictures um, at the top of the page, you'll see that there is a circle around it. Um, now, that that most of the Christian ones don't have a circle because, honestly, it reminds people of the, pente the pentagram that has a circle around it. But if you'll notice, it has an inner triangle. If you look at points three, six, and nine, there's a triangle, and then there's an irregular hexagon. If you look at points one, four, two, eight, five, and seven, you'll notice an irregular hexagon. And each point on this Enneagram represents a personality or type. Um, and actually, I will tell you this, the Enneagram has had such um, such uh, wide diversity as it's continued to expand and is expanding pretty rapidly. Um, some have taken it from just a personality type to a motivation type to some have actually, uh, it's actually using it as more of a, this is a way you connect to the non-different parts of God. Some are using it as this is how you connect with the person of God, um, and some use it as just a personality profile. But if you look at it, you'll find that each point on the Enneagram, there is different, from the mainstay, we'll just talk about personality profiles. You'll see number one, if you look on that uh, first kind of diagram on your, on your, on the left, you'll see that one that kind of has some color to it. It says number one, that there's some people who are moral perfectionists, Number two, the supportive advisor. Number three, the successful achiever. Number four, the romantic individualist. Number five, the investigative thinker. The number six, the loyal guardian. The number seven, entertaining optimist. Um, when I've taken the Enneagram personality assessments, that's it pegs me as a number seven. Uh, there's number eight, the protective challenger. And the number nine, the peaceful mediator. 
Um, you'll see another version of the Enneagram on the right with a circle around it um, with, with, with just kind of one word description of these different types or personality types. So that's a, a little bit of what the Enneagram is. It's a profiling system. It's now become a type and the, and the, the teaching mainly is you are one of these. Um, and there's also, and there's also many different ways to look at it where you may, like, for instance, I'm in the Enneagram testing. I'm, I'm a seven, but also there's different times I could be an eight or a six or also from a seven, I could be a one or a five. And so there's all sorts of, of introspection that can be looked at when it comes to the Enneagram. And if you, if you've done any kind of, um, you can go online and do assessments and try to get down to it. Um, so this is a big personality profile. It's a big type testing. Uh, there's people who, who, I mean, even, even probably many of us who are watching this, uh, you're in this congregation. You probably, if someone were to ask you, what's your Enneagram, you might be able to go, I'm a, I'm a one wing nine, or I'm a three wing four, or you, you actually would know that some of you may not even understand what this is all about. Uh, and I'm going to try to help you with that. But I just want you to understand a little bit about when the word Enneagram is used. It's a nine-point diagram, and it's used as a personality profile. And now what I want to do is I want to walk you through the history of the Enneagram. And then I want to kind of, as I walk you through the history, eventually I want to get kind of the theology behind the Enneagram. And I want you to be fully informed because uh, this Enneagram has become so popular in Christian evaluation. Um, it has become so popular in how people are trying to look at their marriages. They're trying to view their marriages through an understanding of themselves on the Enneagram scale and their, and their spouse on the Enneagram scale and businesses are using it. Um, it kind of has caught kind of the wind that the Myers-Briggs test did years ago where businesses and churches and mission organizations and, and premarital counseling were using um, the Myers-Briggs. The Enneagram has kind of caught wind so let's look, take a little bit of a history look at it, just so you understand, what is this Enneagram? Um, so I will tell you this, it's it's difficult to locate the uh, original origin of the Enneagram because there's no documentation. Um, now, I've seen where some have tried to attribute the Enneagram to something that Pythagoreans or the ancient desert fathers uh, used to use to try to give it some kind of legitimacy. But I would tell you that's all false. There's no documentation of it. There's a guy by the name of George Gurdjieff, George Gurdjieff. And if you look at that picture, if you look at that page, um, you'll see his name on the left side, kind of has a big mustache. You'll see an Enneagram right behind him, George Gurdjieff. And the Enneagram really was devised and brought into the Western world in the early 1900s uh, by this guy. And when this guy, George Gurdjieff, brought this, Enneagram symbol into the Western world in the early 1900s, there was no personality theory attached to it. Um, it, it, it was something that, that ultimately he made up, and, and it was part of something that he believed was a part of the ultimate cosmos, right? Gurdjieff was an occultist, uh, someone who is an occultist, someone who's in the occult. What they basically believe is that there is supernatural knowledge and power apart from the God of the Bible, and occultists are typically people who are trying to tap into the spirit world, and I would say demonic spirit world, and are trying to find supernatural knowledge that is not contained from the one true God, Yahweh. So George Gurdjieff takes and devises this symbol, the Enneagram, and uses it in all the people he disciples. Um, one of his disciples was a, another Russian occultist named uh, P.D. Ospinsky, and um, he learned it from George Gurdjieff, and he testified that George Gurdjieff actually believed that this was how you got knowledge of yourself from the cosmos. George Gurdjieff taught this to his other occultic students, that this is where you find special knowledge. It's a mystery. Now, George Gurdjieff, he had no character, personality assessments to it. He just believed that if you study this, this symbol— that you would find the true self. You would find this divine presence that exists within you, right? So this is uh, Jeff Gurdjieff. 
Now, as you follow the history of the Enneagram, remember, really, Jeff Gurdjieff is the one that devises this symbol, this occultist. It's By the way, that's this isn't uncommon for someone that's in the occult. This is not uncommon for someone that has New Age beliefs that they try to find meaning from signs and symbols. Um, this is what astrology does. So this is no... Um, this is this is this is no shocking thing. Well, Jeff Gurdjieff and one of his disciples, P.D. Ospinsky, um, <clears throat> they they actually have other disciples down the line from them. And there was a guy by the name of Rodney Collins who was another occultist, uh, but he also claimed himself to be a Christian. And he was a follower of Gurdjieff and Ospinsky, and he was the first to assign personality types uh, to actually that Enneagram symbol. Now, the interesting thing that this happened in 1954 by this Rodney Collins, and um, what he tried to do actually was match the points with personality types and planetary influences, right? So this uh, guy by the name of Rodney Collins, and by the way, if you take a look at that front page, you're going to see uh, to the right middle, it says Rodney Collins links personality types through planetary influences. So this one of the disciples of Jeff Gurdjieff and um, P.D. Ospinsky, this occultist, Christian occultist, which I'm, I, I would tell you that's an oxymoron, but nonetheless, um, he believes that you have certain personalities. You have a jovial personality, like the number seven on the Enneagram scale. I get pegged as a number seven. Um, he would call that the jovial personality, and he linked that to Jupiter. And you can kind of see the picture there that he kind of used planets to kind of match with personality. And he believed that human beings could be arranged by planetary types, kind of like astrology. So he's really the first guy that tries to take this Enneagram picture that's in it's basically invented by the occultist Jeff Gurdjieff. It's, it's used in the occultic community to try to find and tap into who the true inner self is. It's used to try to tap into something other than God. It is a form of Gnosticism, of trying to find secret knowledge. At the same time, there was this other guy by the name, uh, a, a Bolivian occultist by the name of Oscar Chazo. You're going to see another picture of him. Uh, you'll see a picture of him. He's at the top there, um, at the top right, Oscar Chazo. And this guy actually connected the Enneagram to personality in 1954 at his Urca Institute in Chile. Um, there are different stories uh, that come about that, of how he actually started to try to attach it to personality somewhat, maybe not to the level that um, Rodney Collins did. But it looks like many believe that he kind of adopted some of Rodney Collins' work. But one thing that Achazo is kind of says uh, in his writings is that he believed the Enneagram was the way to find true self. And he believed that the ego, um, uh, the Freudian-based ego, was a way that you could act, the ego could actually find its true self through this Enneagram uh, picture. Um, and, and actually, he believed that he, this was revealed to him through a spirit being named Metatron while Ichazo was high on, a, on mescaline, on a drug. So we have this kind of idea of, I'm just trying to track through the history, where you have these occultists who are using the symbol to try to find the secret knowledge about themselves, try to find the true self. Not trying to find their true self through the true Lord God Yahweh, but trying to find their true self, and it's now dis it's now descended into personality type theory, and then you have guys like Achazo who are now claiming that there's a spirit there's a spirit being named Metatron, who's telling him that you'll find your true self you'll find your true self through this actual drawing. Well, a student of Achazo, who is who is a Chilean born uh, psychiatrist and an occultist named Claudio Narajo. You'll see the picture of him kind of on the left in the middle, uh, Claudio Narajo. Uh, he actually took this a little bit further, and he actually did a highly defined basic personality types um, with this Enneagram, the kind of what you see today. And in 1971, Claudio Narajo brought this Enneagram personality type teaching to the United States 
and took it to what's called the uh, the Esseline Institute in Big Sur, California, where one historian says it's basically a place where people take LSD, LSD and Beatle native drums. It's a basically a mystical and contemplative community. And so Claudio Naranjo takes it there and kind of explores it. It's really a new age thing. It's a spiritist thing. It's an occultic thing. What happens is Naranjo eventually takes this uh, to the Catholic communities. Um, and so basically a Jesuit priest by the name of Robert Oakes learns about the Enneagram and learns about the profiling system and learns about this is the way to find your true self. And basically this is how to find really the face of God. And these Jesu this Jesuit priest, Robert Oakes, in 1974, he takes this and starts using it in a Catholic seminary in Chicago. And he starts to influence many studying, uh, new studying priests, guys like by the name of Don Riso, um, and one guy by the name of Richard Rohr. If you remember earlier, I talked about a guy who had many false beliefs, who was a Catholic priest. His name was Richard Rohr. Well, Richard Rohr learns this Enneagram from another Catholic guy by the name of Robert Orks, who learns this from Claudio Naranjo, who learns this from Ichazo, who learns this, you know, you track up the line, who learns this from Rodney Collins, who learns this from uh, Jeff Gurdjieff. So you've got now, by 1974, you've got this guy by the name of um, of Robert Oakes, a Jesuit priest who's now actively teaching some of his young, in their 20 priests, about this Enneagram personality type that's a way to connect to your true self. He's borrowed, this has gotten borrowed and descended from occultists, um, spiritists, esoteric kind of astrology community. And now this is being used for on some of these young priests studying for the priesthood in Chicago. <coughs> now, a couple of these young priests that are studying this and coming to uh, learn about the Enneagram are a couple different guys. There's one guy named Don Riso. We won't talk much about him, but he writes a book called Personality Types in 1987. And and really, these guys, it's all in the Catholic community, right? But there's two guys. One guy's named Richard War and another guy's named Mitch Pacwa, right? If you look on the picture, you can see, once again, Richard Rohr on the left, and you see this guy, Mike uh, Pacwa. Now, what's interesting is, these two guys learned the Enneagram from this other, from this Catholic, uh, from this Catholic priest, Robert Oakes, who basically learned it from Claudio Naranjo. Uh, remember, who was the spiritist, who was the um, spiritist who received um, revelation about this from a spirit being. But nonetheless, um, Richard Rohr and Mitch Pacwa, they both are Catholic priests and uh, they both buy hook, line, and sinker into this Enneagram, right? Now, the interesting thing about the guy, Mitch Pacwa, that he promotes it for about 20 years, just like Richard War, but eventually he becomes convicted that the Enneagram is filled with new age, um, demonic things, and he believes that it's he's, he's allowed it to infiltrate Catholicism. So he writes a book in 1992 called Catholics in the New Age, How Good People Are Being Drawn Into... Jungian psychology, the Enneagram, and the age of Aquarius, right? So he starts to get convicted by scripture, and he abandons the Enneagram, and he actually he actually goes on the offensive and tries to let the Catholic community know that, hey, you don't want to actually mess with this thing anymore. We've given too much over to this. He even wrote an article for conservative Christians called that's in 1991 that says, tell me who I am, O Enneagram. Um, so he leaves that movement, but there's another, but there's a guy who stays in the movement and it's a guy by the name of Richard Rohr. And that guy, Richard Rohr is earlier. I described all his theological beliefs and this guy by the name of Richard Rohr, he's considered the most influential Enneagram teacher on the planet. He's considered the guy that has pushed this movement. And Richard, father, Richard Rohr is the guy who has trained and discipled some of the biggest movement makers in the evangelical world. He 
crossed it over from the Catholic world into the evangelical world. Now, Richard Rohr has written several books on the Enneagram. Um, He's wrote a book called Discovering the Enneagram in 1992, Enneagram number two in 1998. He wrote a book called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective in 2001. I would say that's an oxymoron. You can't put Enneagram and Christian together. Um, And he has an organization called the Center for Action and Contemplation where he does training and he trains more people. Richard Rohr has discipled some of the biggest movement makers who have now taken the Enneagram and moved it into the evangelical world. Guys like Ian Crone, Suzanne Stabile, and Christopher Hurts, who are now major influencers in the evangelical world, the Enneagram. And these people, Ian Crone, Suzanne Stabile, and Christopher um, Hertz, these three people actually are actually also influence have influenced actually even more. We would almost put them in more of the um, conservative evangelical world um, and and influence more Enneagram teachers by the name of uh, Jeff and Beth McCord and Bill and Christy Gultier. Now I'm throwing a lot of names to you, which I don't. Uh, it may not mean a lot to you, but I'm trying to kind of make some connections for those in our congregation who've already maybe dived into the Enneagram and spent some time with it. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Richard Rohr, who Richard Rohr, who believes that God is inside of all things and that we all have a divine nature. We don't have a fallen nature. This Richard Rohr, who believes that all paths lead to heaven, this Richard Rohr, who believes that the worst thing about the sin in the garden is not the actual sin of the garden. It's really the fact that anybody would believe that such thing, such a thing as original sin or a fallen nature actually exists. This same Richard Rohr, who believes that everybody has divine good inside them, and because in this divine good that's inside you is there, you need a process. You need God to help you get to this original good, true self that you are. And Richard Rohr believes that you find this through something, through this drawing and this this belief system of the Enneagram and its types. And Richard Rohr is the guy who's trained a downline of people who have influenced the evangelical world. This guy by the name of Ian Crone, I've told you about, right? This guy actually, Richard uh, Richard Rohr has uh, discipled him. He's been on... Uh, Ian Crone's podcast. Um, he's endorsed his book, The Road Back to You. Uh, this Ian Crone um, has lectured at like Fuller Seminary, even some of our major evangelical seminaries. This Ian Crone, who is a disciple of Richard Rohr, who's actually brought the Enneagram into the is a, into the mainstream. Uh, he's been featured on a, at Andy Stanley's podcast. Andy Stanley, who's probably one of the most influential pastors in America. Um, he's been a headline speaker at the Catalyst Conferences. Um, he was one of the main conference speakers in 2018. A Catalyst Conference is a conference that's actually trying to train uh, the new generation of, um, of ministers. And so he's been promoted by probably one of the most high-profile Christian evangelical pastors in our nation. Uh, He's also been promoted by a guy by the name of Kerry Naywolf, who is probably one of the most influential pastors in Canada. And he is he's even been promoted by Dr. Russell Moore, who was the former president of the Ethics and Religious uh, Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. And even Russell Moore has um, has spoken and endorsed the Enneagram that Ian Crone has taught him. There's other disciples of Richard Rohr, a lady by the name of Suzanne Stabile, who um, Richard Rohr has um, helped mentor her, and she's written different books and has podcasts on the Enneagram. She, um, she's been a big influencer on a lady by the name of Jen Hatmaker, who has a big, huge influence. In fact, um, one of, our, one of the, the uh, ma- major publishing companies for evangelical uh, literature, International Varsity Press, has made such a big commitment and so is so impressed with her work with Suzanne Stabile and her use of the Enneagram that they now actually use her as their exclusive workplace culture and team trainer. There's a guy by the name of Christopher 
uh, Hortz, who has written four books on the Enneagram, and actually in his book, Richard Rohr endorses it. And Richard Rohr says himself about Christopher Hertz, I'm happy to recommend this book on the Enneagram to you. You will find here some excellent content, many new insights and compassion that genuine spirituality always provides, which I know Christ lives personally and know hands on to you. So Richard Rohr, remember, remember all the heretical things I said about Richard Rohr earlier, Father Richard Rohr, and he had a downline of disciples. One of those is this guy named Christopher Hortz. Well, guess what? This guy, Christopher Hortz, he's also a major influencer in the um, in the evangelical world. Um, Abilene Christian University in 2013 had him come and do a TED Talk um, where he promoted it. Um, Zondervan, the major publishing company, has published all four of his books. And in fact, Zondervan committed themselves a couple years ago to do a documentary called Nine, um, where they were actually going to use him to actually produce a major documentary that Zondervan, so two of the biggest major Christian publishers, believe so much in the Enneagram. What I'm trying to do is to build out this idea of why it's such a big deal, why we're even talking about it. Um, there's also some other downlines from this. People by the name of Jeff and Beth McCord, um, although they weren't personally mentored by Richard Rohr, uh, they endorse his teachings. And they, are, they have listed Ian Crone, Suzanne Stabile, and Christopher Hortz um, as their Enneagram teachers and coaches. And so uh, this, this couple, Jeff and Beth McCord, uh, they've written, um, they published a non-collection series of booklets on a gospel-centered Enneagram. They published a book called Using the Enneagram to Create a Thriving Gospel-Centered Marriage. They've even had Matt Chandler, probably one of the most popular evangelical voices, has actually endorsed and encouraged uh, the use of the Enneagram. It, it's widespread. Even Liberty University in 2019 um, had an event featuring the late uh, Darren Patrick and his wife, Amy, um, and where he endorses the Enneagram. What's interesting at that Liberty University event, remember Liberty, the world's largest Christian university, um, he is at this event and he talks about how much how much the Enneagram has helped him in his marriage. He endorses Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile in their Enneagram book. He endorses um, he endorses the use of this. And what's interesting is Darren Patrick at that event says, hey, you know, this has been great. Uh, I promote that you use it, but be careful because it contains lots of panentheism kind of ideas. Remember, panentheism is this idea that uh, God is in everything, right? And so he's limited himself. He's That's panentheism. He's in everything, right? And so everything is divine. And he gives a warning uh, about Christians you, about Christians need to beware, but at the same time, he gives it a commendation. And like I told you earlier, since 2016, I mean, I never heard of it until 2016. It has become very, very popular. It's kind of taken the place of Myers-Briggs, um, and a lot of Christian counselors have tried to even add it to their arsenal of testing. So that's a history of the Enneagram. Now, you still may be at this point of going like, okay, Nick, well, <laughs> why are you telling us all about this? Well, the reason I'm telling you all about this is ideas have consequences. And um, there's theological concerns that you need to have about the Enneagram. You need to have concerns about it if you're using it in the workplace, if you're using it to evaluate yourself, if you're using it to evaluate your friends, your spouse. Uh, there's theological concerns, and, um, you know, this is there's been enough spread of this that I just want to make sure that you're fully informed uh, about some of the history of it and fully informed about some of the beliefs. So here's some theological concerns uh, that I think Christians ought to have about the Enneagram, its use as relevancy. It has a history of spirit influence. Remember, I showed, shared you earlier, Ichazo believed that the spirit Metatron told him how to find his true, that you can find your true self through the Enneagram. Uh, Naraho believed that the nine personalities that he actually wrote out were guided by spirit activity as he wrote. Now, all over the scriptures, we are warned to stay away from things that have any kind of demonic spirit activity. There's one truth and standard of truth, and that's the and that's Yahweh's word to us. John eight forty four, it says that the devil, 
the devil does not stand for truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. That's Satan. Second Corinthians 11.3 says that Satan, tried, he deceived Eve by his cunning. And your thoughts can be led away from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5.8 that we should be sober-minded and be watchful to your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him firm in the faith right scriptures have a repeated warning to be watch out for the deceptions and lies of satan now i'm not going to tell you that every time anybody's you know taking an enneagram test or use it that they're automatically doing satanic worship but I, i will say this christians should be should not ignore the history in the advent of the of, of actually the Enneagram and what it's actually trying to influence. And it is amazing. It is amazing how many Christians are have actually spent so much time fixating on what they are, what their um what they are in the Enneagram, what their wing is, what their lines are, and have gone so far into it that that I would probably say they know more about who they are in the Enneagram and what their friends and their spouse and their family members are then they even would know scripture. And so you have to be careful. Uh, the devil is a liar, and he is always looking for ways to be cunning. And so when you start looking at some of the history of the Enneagram and how it descends from an occultic community, one has to throw up red flags and wonder, is this something that is useful for Christians? Not only that, the main disciple maker of all the Enneagram downstream is a guy by the name of Father Richard Rohr. He was the guy that really brought it into the Catholic community and then pushed it out from there into the evangelical community. And remember some of the some of the beliefs of Richard Rohr. He believed that the Enneagram was the sword of the spirit. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Ephesians 6:17 that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Hebrews 4:12 tells us that the word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart, not the Enneagram. Richard Rohr promotes that the Enneagram is the sword of the spirit. What about 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17? It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God claims exclusively, exclusively to be what makes us complete and equipped so listen to me not a personality profile not the enneagram not the myers-briggs not the disc assessment not the rorschach not any of those the word of god through the the sword of the spirit is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart is the equipper the word of god is sufficient but richard Rohr taught that the that it's the that the word of god isn't sufficient but this subjective man-made testing system is remember also richard Rohr, who is the main influencer he was a panentheist right that it makes god it makes god not a spirit it makes takes away from god's omniscience his unchangeableness his holiness his infiniteness john 4 24 says that god is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth and so Richard Rohr was not a man who worshiped God in spirit and truth, but yet this Richard Rohr was the guy training all the evangelicals who, who, who are now in the downline, like teaching other evangelicals um, about the actual use of the Enneagram as a gospel-centered Christian thing. Remember, Richard Rohr didn't believe that man was a sinner, that everybody was truly, um, that everybody had good already inside them. Then Colossians 2, 6 through 8, warn us, about these kind of deceptive things. Colossians 2, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity does not dwell in the chair, uh, in in all the substances of creation. 
Um, and each person, the fullness and wholeness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ. It says, you've been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. So Richard Rohr, the main influencer and discipler of the evangelicals who pushed this out to the rest of us, this guy's a heretic, right? This is a Catholic mystical heretic. He teaches that all paths lead to heaven and that there is no exclusive pathway to heaven. Jesus is one of many pathways, but Jesus claimed exclusively that no one comes to the Father except through him in John 14, 6. 2 Timothy 2, 5, Paul tells us there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Even Father Richard Rohr, once again, who's the influencer, he believed that there was not two types of people, just one type of person. But the scriptures actually describe two types of people, people who were unregenerate and people who were regenerate, or people who were not saved and people who are saved. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Now, there's all these ideas that people have about, and, and we'll, I'll say a little bit about this at the end, but if any, if, if you if you spend any time with me, you probably know you probably know that uh, I'm not a big fan of personality profile and tests, just from the fact that they're not scientific, and they are they are kind of man's idea of how to evaluate man. And the enneagram is just another one of these, right? Who is not taking a biblically accurate look at man, and the 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 issue with it is that many people in the evangelical world you're finding are spending a lot of time with this and are seeing it as a way to evaluate themselves instead of running back to the scriptures, which are the main way to evaluate ourselves. Another issue that you've got to understand about the Enneagram is it, it is that it is from occultists who believe an occultist person believes that there is a higher mystical plane of knowledge that an elevated group of people have if they'll just take the time to look deep inside themselves, right? But aren't we warned against this kind of Gnosticism, this kind of secret knowledge? In First Timothy 6.20, Paul says, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. In Bible times, there was this idea of Gnosticism where there was a secret knowledge and there was other, there was other heresies that went along with Gnosticism and the idea of the Catholic, the mystical Catholic community through Richard Rohr pushing this out to the evangelical world. It's a Gnostic tool that we're warned against these kind of things. If there's anything that we need to know about ourselves, about our true self, we learn it in light of what the scripture has said. And what does the scripture said? The scripture has said that God created us good. We fell in the garden, that God has brought redemption through Jesus Christ, that the ultimate goal in life is not to be conformed to a personality profile. It's to be conformed to Jesus Christ. That's the goal of life. The Enneagram also promotes this idea of self. It's a fixation on self. It's a self-worship. And we have to be honest as a culture. We are head over heels in love with ourselves. And we're always looking for a way to solve our fallenness problem. By recycling, regurgitating, redescribing who we think we are and what we do. That's why there's all these new personality profiles that continue to come up. The Enneagram won't be the last one. Neither was the Myers-Briggs before that. Uh, um, Neither was the Rorschach test before that. Neither was the Minnesota multiphasic before that. I know I'm just kind of rattling off different um, tests to you. So we are told in scriptures that actually the goal of life is in, in Philippians chapter 2, that we would do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but humility, count others more significant than ourselves, that we wouldn't look on the, our own interests, but we would look on the interests of others. We'd have this mind, which is ours in Christ Jesus. God has called us in the scriptures to have the mind of Christ, not the mind of this kind of obsessive self-introspection. God actually wants us to have this obsessive this obsessive idea of glorifying God and serving others. So as I wrap this kind of discussion up with the Enneagram and the use of it and what it is, some people ask, well, what if you, can't you take the Enneagram and use it with a gospel focus? Well, I would say this, you you know, 
Just because you have the word gospel and slap it onto something doesn't mean it's actually gospel focused. Um, you have to be careful about that, especially when the Enneagram has occultic underpinnings uh, for its source, right? Um, it's I, The Enneagram promotes itself as an idea and source for understanding oneself. But hasn't the scriptures already spoken that it is that it already claimed to have that jurisdiction? Doesn't Hebrews chapter um, chapter four verse twelve say that it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart? Doesn't the word of God claim to actually know what man is? See, the thing is, people are people. It's a good thing people are trying to understand themselves, right? But we understand ourselves by, not by trying to find man's evaluation of man's creation by his different personality types and profiles and systems we actually understand ourselves in the mirror of the word of god as it speaks about what we are and what god's like now the thing that makes it difficult is when you do personality profile tests and types like such as like from like like a myers-briggs disc whatever right or the enneagram is Sometimes you will do these things and we'll go like, for instance, I take the, I take the, um, the Enneagram assessment, right. And I find who it says I'm a number seven and who I'm the entertainer. And well, that really does uh, describe me. And then that's where it kind of gets you hooked in. And then you start to kind of go, well, I need to actually look at life from the perspective of a number seven. And what is, what is this particular personality profile tell me to do? And so that's when people kind of get hooked in and they kind of go, yeah, Nick, however you're saying, but these tests, this, and like this Enneagram test seems to describe me. And I would say what's going on is what's called the Barnum effect. There was this guy by the name, I'm sure you know his name, pretty popular now, P.T. Barnum, um, who basically he had this idea that people are gullible enough to be convinced the scriptures of them are accurate when they're really just generalizations. And so you know, he was he was really big about kind of putting people in this idea of where helping them to see what what they wanted to see. And what happens with personality tests a lot of times is their generalizations really that can apply to anybody. We just want them to see that. If you really take the Enneagram and if you're really looking hard enough, you could be anything on those that whole litany of nine different things. Um, and the fact that there's new tests constantly coming. The only reason the Enneagram actually becomes popular is because the Myers-Briggs has kind of been uh, dismissed and not used anymore. A lot of companies stopped using it. It just, um, you know, and so, um, you know, that's the, that's the thing that people kind of go like, what if it describes me? And I would say all these personality tests and profiles are really generalizations that could apply to anyone. I would not take the bulk of my time and energy in life trying to find it. So, I'll, I'll end with a couple other things. People ask me, so Nick, um, should I even be asking about what my personality type is? People ask that. Should I even be asking what my personality type is? And to that, I would say this. Scripture nowhere describes personality type. It doesn't. That's an invention of man. Uh, now, that's an invention of the Western kind of man. Um, but there, you know, now the scriptures do have a category for being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8 says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, right? The scriptures talk about the category being spirit-controlled in Ephesians 5.18, Ephesians 5.22, right? Talks about being filled with the spirit. Talks about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The scriptures talk about all those things, right? But it doesn't talk about a personality profile, right? It talks about being conformed to the image of Christ. It talks about all of us having different giftings, some natural giftings, spiritual giftings. It, the scriptures talk about discovering those giftings within the body and community of Christ, right? But don't. But but what it doesn't talk about a lot is personality profiles. Personality profiles. The idea of even having personality profiles. It's a longer discussion that maybe I, you know, we could do a breakout class on it. Um, you know, it, it actually it doesn't it doesn't have any founding in any kind of scientific theory. It actually doesn't have anything any founding in the scriptures. Now, one of the things um, that you know that that people need to understand um, when looking at personality profiles and tests uh, is this idea: your theology will always adapt 
to your observation, right? And that's the danger of personality tests. Theology is meant to drive your observation of man, but most personality assessment tests, they're not theologically driven. They are observation driven, and our theology is adapting to our observation. Now, I will tell you this. There have been some people who have used personality tests and profiles as kind of a fun parlor game, or they've used it to try to gather some data as like supplemental information. Uh, For instance, one counselor um, in the biblical counseling community called Ed Welch, um, he's, he's made a comment before that it might provide some supplemental information if you're just trying to do some assessment of a person. Um, but you have to be very cautious with these things that you don't actually find your identity. You don't actually do your hiring practices. You don't think that that's science, that you don't find your identity. Um, these are man-made things. And the Enneagram, and it's particularly of all of them, the Enneagram has specific satanic undertones. Um, the teaching of it is actually trying to promote this idea of looking introspectively at your true self, trying to find your true self through it. When your true self is not in the face of the Enneagram, your true self is in the face of God. Now, um, as I end this message, um, if you look on that page, you have the second page. And the second page is this is something taken from a, a biblical counselor uh, by the name of Rick um, and what he did is he kind of took he kind of took this idea of okay people want to do an evaluation of themselves but actually let's do this the bible speaks clearly about what god wants the bible speaks clearly about jesus character so why don't we actually if we want to take kind of assessments and tests why don't we take the the bible jesus and self test and you'll notice what he did is he basically said love is patient jesus is patient then a blank you know, is Nick patient, right? Love is kind. Jesus is kind. Nick is kind. And he kind of listed out first Corinthians 13. You kind of see all those categories. And I would say this, if you want to take an assessment of yourself and kind of go, okay, am I conformed to his image? Am I being like his son? I would say, Hey, why don't you do this? This is scriptural. Can you go down this and go, okay, love is not rude. Jesus is not rude. Can I put my name there? Can I put my my name, Nick, is not rude, and if Nick can't put his name right there, that's a great place for Nick to start to evaluate himself to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I would say that's good biblical assessment. He also gives you some, this assessment, he gives you some ways to actually do this in Christian community. But, but what, what I want you to know is this message isn't meant to beat up on anybody or anything when it comes to personality profiles or the Enneagram. But what I'm trying to do is this. There's there's this idea that um, we are constantly, constantly looking for a way to figure ourselves out. We're constantly looking for ways to actually find what am I? You know, we're constantly looking for ways to how to figure out our friends and family and spouse and people around us and how do we relate to these people, right? And I would tell you this. Here's how you best relate to people, all right? Worship the one true God, love God, and love others. The more we push in and love God, the more we push in and we repent of sin and we express thankfulness for the gospel and we walk in the world road of sanctification, the more we conform to Christ's image, the more we'll love God, the more then the more we love God, the more we'll actually love others, we'll sacrifice for others, and we won't have this this introspection where we're concerned about ourselves, but we're more concerned with serving and, and doing ministry to others. And I'm, I'm, and I'm telling you, that's the Christ-like road. That's the road the scriptures are promoting. But what you can find is with our personality assessment world, people are looking for some way to, to understand themselves. And all these personality assessments and tests are man's observation of man. And And the scriptures claim to have the jurisdiction on the evaluation of man. So I'm so thankful for the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I'm thankful that here in a moment we can sing to the Lord. Then we can eat a meal together. We can edify each other. We can take communion. And we we can remember 
that our identity is not in anything that man has said about us. Our identity is in the finished work of Christ. Christ has died for our sins. Christ has given himself to us. He will bring us to himself. I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has been informative. And um, for some of you, maybe you've never, you know, um, you've never even heard of this and maybe you never will. But for the rest of you, I just want to make sure and be a faithful pastor and and help you to understand what's coming in our culture and uh, to the glory of God. Well, worship, worship team, make your way up to the stage and let me pray for us as we close out our time. Thank you um, for uh, just a chance that we could study the scriptures. We could um, try to look theologically at a subject matter that's difficult. And would you bless your people? Um, would you let this be a, a great spark to push us back into the word and to keep looking at the glory of God and who you are? We trust you. Give us safety on the water uh, tomorrow. And if there's someone far from Christ, um, a youth at our camp, um, would you let that be known, and even in our congregation today, in Jesus' name, amen.